children are dismissed at this time. It's been a couple months since I've been up here, so excuse me as I get uh, acclimated to being on stage again. Um, continue to pray for our pastor, Steve. Um, first off, my name is A.D. Daisley. I'm one of the elders here at the church. For those who um, are new, and our lead pastor is actually on a sabbatical. He's in uh, the first quarter of a uh, three-month sabbatical, and so continue to pray for him that God would nourish him during this period of much-needed break, much-needed rest and restoration. Um, today, we're going to be starting kind of like a series within a series, and um, over the past four weeks or so, we have talked about a couple of different things. The, the, the title series is, of the series is Peaks and Valleys, and we talked about how the, um, the peaks prepare us for the valleys, um, followed by Pastor Ryan, his sermon, speaking on lament and the role of lament and driving us to God in those valley experiences that we have, spoke about the peak of worship, trusting even though we don't have all the answers, and this particular series, within the series of Peaks and Valleys, I've entitled An Invitation to Retreat. And just to kind of give you um, an overview, you will see on the slides, this is actually going to be a five-part series. Today would be the first of a five-part series, the first one today being The Invitation, the second one will be self-examination. How does examining oneself, uh, how, how is that a part of re the retreat experience and what role does self-examination play? Thirdly, prayer. Prayer being more than just talking to God and what happens when we pray during our times of retreat. Number four, scripture and how to approach reading God's Word, not so much from a studying or analytical perspective, the ways that you can approach God through Scripture while on retreat, and number five, community. What role does other or do other believers play in this whole concept of retreat? We'll talk about what retreat is um, in this sermon, but the conviction that I have going into this mini-series, if you will, is that the pace and the preoccupation that we have with the responsibilities of life and the activities that we're involved in on a daily basis often interfere with our ability to encounter God. We all have our busy lives that we're trying to pursue certain career goals, we have our educational goals, we have family responsibilities, and the grind of life can deafen us to the voice of God if we're not careful. And so what's driving this whole idea of retreat is how can we as a people of God experience God? How can we discover the rest that he provides in the midst of our busy world? Often it takes us stopping and being in a place of rest to really, first of all, recognize how busy our lives have been to be able to attend to the voice of God. And so my hope is that at the end of this series, that there would be in each of us 
a desire to create a margin of space whereby God can actually pull our attention away from the things that keep us occupied on a daily basis to tune into what he has to say to us. And so this is my prayer going into this series today. I'm going to start by reading a passage of scripture from the Psalms, first in Psalm 84, and secondly, a verse in Psalm chapter 24. So if you're able to, if you can please stand with me as I read from Psalm chapter 84, and then I'm going to read one verse from Psalm chapter 27, and we will jump into our sermon for today. Psalm chapter 84, I'll be reading from the NIV. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows have found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty. My King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Psalm 27, verse 4. The psalmist says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. Father God, I pray that you would create a deeper hunger in our hearts for you. God, I pray that in these moments, you would make us even more aware of your desire for us and the lengths to which you went to initiate contact with us so that we can have an intimate relationship with you. Open our hearts and our minds to hear you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The year was 2003. I had moved to Orlando to attend grad school. And honestly, that was really one of uh, the darker periods in my life. I just kind of felt like things weren't opening up, you know, school-wise, career-wise. And so I decided to go to grad school at UCF and... One of the teachers had um, told me about a, a festival, and it's an annual festival that they have in Eatonville each year, 
And so, being into the arts, I decided that I wanted to volunteer. And they had a volunteers meeting, where all the volunteers were in a room, mostly older women. And across the room, I see a peachy-colored, uh, attractive young lady. And um, I'm like, yeah, okay, she's, uh, she's kind of nice. And so, the entire meeting, I'm uh, thinking, how am I going to make my approach here? You know, <laughs> can't be too forward, can't be too open, right? You got you to figure it out. And so, at one particular point, the lady said, um, who was conducting the meeting said, that there was a sign-up list for people who wanted to volunteer in different areas. Ha, okay, this is my chance, right? So, being the gentleman that I am, I allowed, you know, ladies to get up first and, you know, sign up. Making sure that I was right behind this young lady so I could not only find out what her name was, but to find out where she was going to be volunteering so that I could place myself, you know, I'm volunteering. I want to be, you know, help out. So, I want to, you know, volunteer maybe in the same area and, you know, we can volunteer together. And so... Um, she gets done signing her name on the list, and um, you know, right there, trying to look at the list and trying to see, you know, she turns around and um, got to think fast. Okay, what am I going to say here? And she's chewing some gum, so I say, uh, "Would you happen to have another piece of gum?" And she, you know, <laughs> not the greatest pickup line, but I'm saying, you know, you got to make it seem like it's just a natural part of the, you know, situation, right? And um, she pulls out a piece of gum, a last piece of gum, mind you, a last piece. And she hands me a piece of gum. And she says, uh, let me write my number on the back of the wrapper. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She, <laughs> she didn't say that. I'm joking. She didn't say that. So she gives me this piece of gum. And I you know, notice where she's volunteering. So I put down the same areas just to make sure that we end up in the same area. And fast forward a couple weeks later, um, I'm going up to the booth to volunteer, and I only have one thing on my mind. How can I maximize the amount of time that I have? Yeah, I'm there, I'm there to volunteer, but really, I'm not there to volunteer. I'm trying to find out who this person is, right? So hit it off, you know, we're talking about school. We happen to go to the same college and everything. And for the entire time that I'm there, even though I'm volunteering, my mind is not really on the activity of volunteering. I'm trying to find out more about this young lady. And even though, you know, there are various different booths with artists who are selling jewelry and paintings and so on and so forth, even though I'm going around to the booths, I'm really not trying to go too far because I'm trying to maximize my time. And you know how it is when you just kind of linger, you know, not really much to say, but you just want to linger around this person because you want to find out as much as you can about this person. And so we end up volunteering and we're kind of walking around. And at one particular point, one of the directors from the, uh, from the festival says, aren't you supposed to be in your area? And we're like, you know, yeah, okay. That's not even our concern. Because our affections are caught up in trying to find out more about each other. And, spoiler alert, I married her four years later. <laughs> but 
The point being, when your affections are captured, all other responsibilities stop. You don't have an issue with lingering around someone that you have interest in. When you're captivated, everything else stops. Everything else stops for what you have your desires bound to. And today, when I speak about an invitation to retreat, really what I'm asking or what I'm inviting you to do is to invite yourself to allow yourself to linger in the presence of God. Now, I understand in order for you to do that, there has to be desire because we don't linger around places that we don't have a heart connection to. And so as the people of God, God has gone to the extent of dying so that we can be in intimate relationship with him. And he gives us this invitation to spend time in his presence that's focused, that's uninterrupted. And so this invitation that I want to extend today is for us to linger in the presence of God. So the first slide I have here is defining what I mean by this invitation to retreat. First off, what I'm defining it as is an extended block of time where you make yourself exclusively available to God alone in a different and less distracting place where your focus is on hearing directly from God. I'm, I'm going to read that again. An extended block of time where you make yourself exclusively available to God alone in a different and less distracting place where your focus is on hearing from God directly. And that particular definition has four very important parts, and I'm going to ex expound on that. First of all, an extended block of time. For many of us, our devotional time is pretty much the, the main time that we actually have to spend with God, and that's great, and I want to continue to encourage those of us who have that block of time where we set apart to have our time with God. But I find that for most of us, that time can, can be very rushed. You know, we have a block of time, and it's almost like that shot of coffee where, you know, you, you're ma mainly engaging your mind, and your heart sometimes is not really that engaged, and you rush off to, you know, work or whatever your activities are for the day, and it does not have that lingering quality that I just described in my illustration. Oftentimes, our hearts and our minds don't even get an opportunity to settle, and sometimes it becomes no more than a feeding of our minds where our hearts really aren't engaged with God. And so this time could be anywhere from a few hours. It could be an overnight thing. Or like Steve is doing, he's doing a more extended version of this. But essentially, what I'm referring to is an extended block of time where God is the focus and everything else stops for that time. And generally, this would be a period of time that's longer than whatever you typically would do for your devotional time. Part two, exclusively available to God, meaning everything else stops for this time. If you've been on a date with someone who you really love, they want your undivided attention. And so if you're constantly on your cell phone, and I'm sure you've had these conversations before where you're actually with someone, 
but they're constantly on their phone and they're looking down and you can just get the nonverbal message that they do not have your total undivided attention. And so what I'm speaking of in this time is where God has your undivided attention, where everything else stops for your time with God. You're paying attention to what God is saying to you during this time. Number three, a different and less distracting place. Places matter. Places matter. This is why when we go on a vacation, we don't stay at home for a vacation. When you think of a vacation, you want to go to a place that you haven't seen before, and often it's in these different environments that we become more sensitive to things that we normally wouldn't pay attention to, a sunset or just the laughing of a kid in the background. Places matter. I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture because this is something that Jesus did frequently even before his public ministry and during his ministry where there's this constant retreating to places of silence. Mark chapter 1 verse 12 says, At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and, angel, and the angels attended to him. So right even from the onset of his public ministry, Jesus is in this space of retreating, getting away. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, despite Jesus' plea that his miracles be kept secret, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to him to hear and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him. Matthew 14, verse 23. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray when evening came, he was still there alone. Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Got more. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up to the mountain, and there he sat down. John chapter 7, verse 10, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he went up, not publicly, but privately, and that walk from Galilee to Jerusalem was about uh, 90 miles. So we're talking about approximately five days that Jesus had alone. And so all throughout the ministry of Jesus, there was a constant retreating. There was a constant getting away, regardless of the busyness of life and the busyness of ministry that he had. Fourth part of the definition is to hear from God directly. During this time, it's really a time where we're trying to unplug from the third-party resources that we often use sometimes in our times of quiet. And so this is not necessarily a time where you're taking your commentaries or your, you know, your, your sermons or whatever. Um, it's a time where you are spending that time with God, your Bible, maybe a journal, and you're trying to hear the voice of God 
apart from any other kind of mediation. So why retreat? Why retreat? Why is this needed? First reason, we incorrectly equate knowing more about Jesus with being like him. We incorrectly equate knowing more about Jesus with being like him. One of the complaints many people say about Christians is that they talk a good game, but our lives don't really resemble the person that we're talking about. When we really assess the core desires that we have, do we really have the desires of Christ? Like the stuff that really frustrates us. Is it really the same things that God actually gets frustrated and angry with? Or is it primarily just our preferences that we get worked up about? Do we truly have the heart of God? Our core desires, the things that drive us, are they truly the things that God just desires or are those things just our preferences? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, For people, speaking of the end times, will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, and swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power. And verse 7 continues, always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. God's people, when we are truly impacted by who God is, it changes the way that we live. It changes our desires. And we become more than a people that proclaim truth, but our lives embody the truths that we proclaim. And so it's more than just knowing more about God, but it's becoming like him, where our character is becoming conformed to that of Christ. And so retreat offers us that space where God can work on our hearts. Reason number two, why do we need retreat? Because we are incapable of bringing about the substantive change that we desire in our lives. The change that we desire the most, we are not capable of producing in and of ourselves. Jeremiah chapter 17 reminds us in verse 9 that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? The Lord is the one that has to search our hearts because we have difficulty with properly assessing ourselves. Matthew chapter 19 also reminds us, too, of the story of the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and he says, what good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, you know the commandments. And the guy responds that, you know, I've kept all of these commandments. What is it that I still lack? And Jesus says to him in verse 22, or in verse 21, if you would be complete, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven Come and follow me. And so he gives him an invitation to follow Jesus. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
And for many of us, like this rich young ruler, he knew that there was something that he was lacking, but he had no power to change that part of himself. And we're in the same situation where the, ch- the change that we desire most, we are incapable of producing, and we need God to produce that change in us. What retreat often can do is to help us to see our desperate need for change and our inability to do that in and of our own strength. And finally, number three, why do we need retreat? Because we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Whatever it is that's capturing your affections and your attention, you become like that. Psalm 118 verse 4 says, the idols, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but they do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And this is speaking of people who are worshiping idols, that they become like the very idols that they worship. Now, I want you to contrast that with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so as we are captivated in the presence of God, that is the vehicle through which we are transformed into the image of Jesus, where we become like him. Our deepest need is to be transformed into the image of Christ. And this does not come by external imitation. Externally imitating Christ will not produce internal transformation. It's from that place of internal transformation that we can then produce fruit that corresponds with the change that God has made in our lives. And retreat offers us that space where we can become captivated again by the person of Jesus Christ. And so, preparation for retreat. How do you prepare for a retreat? This first point primarily applies to those of us who are married. Um, If you are going to go on a retreat, you want to tell your spouse. (laughs) You just don't want to up and leave and (laughs) leave uh, your spouse hanging. You want to make sure that you get their approval, number one. Number two, you want to be able to let others know. Right? If you have coworkers who are depending on you to, I don't know, get the particular report in or whatever, you want to be able to inform those who are in your circle that you will be unplugging for a certain amount of time so that whatever responsibilities um, you know, that, that are shared, that they at least know what's going on. Number three, take care of outstanding responsibilities. Right? If there's bills that you need to pay, whatever, if it's going to be a couple of days, you want to be, make sure you take care of those things before you actually go on a retreat. And then number four I have is to pay attention. To pay attention. 
And there have been many times where I have gone on a retreat where even the preparation for going on to retreat is a part of the retreat. Like it's the stuff that happens before. Or maybe even on your way to a retreat, you want to be able to pay attention to what's going on because God may very well be drawing your attention to things prior to actually going on a retreat. Next slide is where can you actually retreat? Where are places that you can go to retreat? I know three here in Orlando. Uh, The first is the Lakeside Retreat. You'll see that on the slide there. This is a place that's in Winter Park. I can't remember how many rooms she has. I think it might be about eight or nine rooms, if I'm not mistaken. Um, It's a lady by the name of Linda Werner. And her uh, passion is to see people of God pulling away from the busyness of life to nourish their hearts and their souls in the presence of God. I have the website listed there. Number two is San Pedro Center, which is also in Winter Park. Um, They have a couple acres and a couple different, uh, actually a a lot of rooms. It's almost like a a hotel, if you will, on a huge property. And they have a huge lake where you can, you know, just get on a canoe and you can canoe. They also have grounds where you can actually walk if you're a walker. Um, They have a a huge property that you can also uh, spend some time there walking and um, spending some time in the presence of the Lord. And also... Number three, Canterbury Retreat and Conference Center, which is in Oviedo, um, right off of Alafaya. And um, they also have, I think, maybe 50 or 60 rooms um, that they also have that you can rent. And even if you wanted to do like a day retreat, it doesn't have to be an overnight thing. A lot of these places would actually allow you to stay on the premises for the day. If you just want to get away for a couple hours, you can do so. Um, of course, there are restaurants around in the area if you want to be able to get food. And um, I understand that for some of us, we have limitations. Maybe some of us don't drive. Um, maybe some of us have, I don't know, transportation issues or whatever. This message and this invitation isn't meant to bind your conscience to say that you are in sin if you don't do this. But if Jesus is doing something repeatedly throughout his ministry, We should pay attention to it. And all the teaching that Jesus did was not only verbal teaching, but it's also an example that Jesus has set for us that there is something, if he's doing this repeatedly, there's something to it. There's something there. And my only message to you today is that this is something that can add a tremendous benefit to your life if you respond to the invitation. And so what do you do on a retreat? What do, you, what, what do you do on a retreat? Now, I understand for some of us, especially if you have not done something like this before, it can be daunting to think like, well, what activities am I going to do if I got a couple hours just to kind of sit? What do I want to do? And the temptation is to kind of fill the space with lots of different activities. And what I want to encourage you with today is to center your time around whatever is conducive to your ability to listen. And we all hear differently. We all hear differently. There are different things that we do that, that's conducive for me being able to hear the voice of God. And so even with each one of the properties that you would go to if you were to visit one of these, there are different amenities and things you can do. You can walk, you can canoe, you can, I don't know, take an extended shower or whatever. There are lots of different things that you could technically do 
um, like naps. Like, dude, I, I don't take naps. Like at home, and, and my wife can even attest to this, like I just don't nap. I, I don't like to nap when I'm at home. I wake up, I feel disoriented. But I actually take naps when I go on retreats, believe it or not. Um, and so there are lots of different things that you could do, but it's really not the activity that's the main thing that you're after. The main thing that you're after in a retreat is listening for God and listening to God. And as you pull away from the busyness of life, it gives you an opportunity to disconnect and allow your heart and your mind to settle so that you can hear what God has to say in that space. And so you want to center your activities around whatever enables you to hear from God. Now, I do also want to encourage us today that there will take some degree of figuring it out because somebody can draft up, you know, a schedule for you, but everybody hears a little bit differently and everybody responds a little bit differently in this space of of retreat. And so I want to encourage you that there might be a little bit of a wrestle to kind of figure out, you know, what works for you in this space of responding to this invitation and what you do when you're on a retreat. So you want to be aware of whatever activities that you're engaging in, that it facilitates your ability to hear the voice of God. And you also want to pay attention to how your heart is engaging with God during this time. And so, as I got close to wrapping up, the heart disposition, how do our hearts respond to this invitation to retreat? Sometimes when we get an invitation, and especially if it's from someone that we don't really care for, you know, it's like that birthday invitation that you really don't want to go to it. And you already know once you get that invitation, it's going in the trash. Um, It's important for you just to assess where your heart is in relation to this invitation to retreat. God doesn't force us into an intimate relationship with himself. God isn't in the business of forcing you to do anything, and neither am I. What God does do, though, is that he initiates the process. God always takes the first step. And what he does is not only initiate the first step, he extends an invitation and he gives us promptings. And depending on how we respond to the prompting, God then responds to us. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so God offers us this invitation And his invitation is always open. And really the issue is, how will we respond? How will we respond to the invitation that God gives to us? God isn't into forcing. And the fullness of God is available to all believers, but only those who truly hunger and thirst for him can experience the abundance of what God has to provide. John chapter 15 Jesus encourages his disciples. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus is talking to his disciples here. And he's saying, if you do not abide in me, there is nothing that you can do. There is no fruit that you can produce. There is no transformation without this intimate connection between me and you. God is inviting us to intimate relationship. Matthew 13, verse 58 says, and he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Often the condition of our heart determines what we can receive from the Lord. And so in closing, I really just want to encourage us with three things. First of all, God desires to meet with you. God desires to meet with you. Jeremiah chapter 31 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God does not hesitate to take the first step. And he desires to be with us. He desires to meet with us. And not only that, God initiates contact with you. He not only traversed the gap between heaven and earth, but he took on human flesh. He went into the war zone where there was corrupted man and corrupted sin, and he was willing to take on flesh so that we could have intimate relationship with him. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how would he not freely give us all things? God is not in the business of withholding himself from people. Really, the issue is on our behalf and how we respond to the invitation that he gives to us. And 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 continues, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God initiates relationship. He initiates contact with us. And finally, God will teach us directly. God will teach us directly. In this space of retreating where it may be unfamiliar, God is the one who teaches us. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 says this, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their heart. And this is describing an inner transformation that takes place where God's desires become a part of who we are because he is changing our character. And he continues, I will be their God and they will be my people and each person will not teach his fellow citizens and each other, his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And Isaiah 54 puts it this way, all your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In that place of retreat, God speaks to you directly, and he teaches you about himself. God desires relationship with you. He initiates contact, taking on human flesh, giving himself for you, and he teaches you directly. I pray that as a result of this series, that God would begin to draw you closer. And not only that, but you, that you and each one of us 
would respond to the invitation that God gives to us. This is our only hope for transformation in the presence of God.